Restore 2022. This is our sixth podcast and I'm here with my friend Peter Tennell and we are going to go through some of the questions that we've been given for the last two weeks and it's good to go through some of this stuff with you Peter so thank you so much for taking the time to be here and uh, yeah to open scriptures and to try to understand some of the input for the questions that we've been asked. Have you had a good week? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, like everyone, just glued to the news, and uh, yeah, so it's. I think we're all in the same boat, watching the horizon, and um, well, we'll we'll get on to it about how these scriptures have been helpful for processing our thoughts and fears. Apart from that, it's been good. I was I was really challenged yesterday by somebody. Uh, he asked me whether I've been watching the news, and uh, I said yes. Lots, quite a bit on the phone and on the machine because it's so accessible. And he said to me, are you finding yourself spending more time watching the news rather than praying for the situation in Ukraine and Russia? I said no comments. So um, <laughs> I, I think I'll, I'll leave that also with the listeners that I think it's a good opportunity for us to be thinking a little bit how much are we yeah, embracing all the information that is out there and how much space we leaving for God to to be praying so he could intervene. And we're going to talk a little bit about that intervention as we come to the close of the podcast. So the first question we've got for today is about the book of Exodus. And I don't know how much you've enjoyed it, but I have been enjoying it and it's good to see it from a perspective of reading it daily and engaging with it. So the first question we've got today is about Moses and the way that he describes himself. In chapter 6, both verse 12 and verse 30, he describes himself as a man of uncircumcised lips. And is this to do with his Jewish authenticity or is this a sign of a lack of confidence? Is Moses unwilling to speak to Pharaoh on behalf of God? What is it yeah, of Moses and his situation? This passed me by. It was an interesting question because um, in the NRSV, which I've been using in both those verses, it just says, but Moses, this is verse 30, Moses said in the Lord's presence, since I am a poor speaker, why would Pharaoh listen to me? And I didn't notice that... Um, Next to poor speaker, there's a little footnote which says the Hebrew is literally of uncircumcised lips. I can't find, I've had a look, a look around and I can't find the origin of that idiom. But as far as I can tell, it is referring to his speech and not his ethnicity or any kind of concerns about his ethnicity. And then if you look back at chapter four, yeah. um, I think it's verse 10. Verse 10, yeah. He says, um, but Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And it's a different idiom there talk, that uses the verb to be heavy. And so I think taken together, he is complaining about his lack of rhetorical skill, basically. And, and it's not just about the rhetorical skill, but it's also he's going to go and meet with Pharaoh. How do you, how does one 
take that to the next level in going to speaking to a world leader. So I think there is that element of just eloquence, but is facing a world leader, a pharaoh. Well, facing pharaoh, it's it's quite serious because you're in pharaoh's presence. Just to bring it home, it's like how somebody like Moses would go and see someone in a high rank, high political rank. And you had a good example of that. It was just imagine if you were... If the prime, if Boris Johnson walked in here and said, "Right, we need you to go to the Kremlin and talk to Putin tonight. Go and um, tell him to stop invading Ukraine and just negotiate him in front of all his cronies and uh, uh, you know, and the world stage." I mean, you can't just walk in there and tell him. You, you're going to have to give speeches and and appeal to him and and go through a whole thing. I mean, who would who would honestly feel up to doing that? And I think that's the and even those who felt up to doing that, they were quite distant on that big table, weren't they? That's right. <laughs> you know, I mean, Putin is a, he's a scary guy. And uh, we know he's willing to kill people. And uh, I mean, you could just be greatly humiliated, I think, because in verses 12 and 30, it's, you know, before he's, he's worried about what will the Israelites say, but he's talking about Pharaoh in both these verses with the uncircumcised lips. So he, he's he's. He's been he's grown up as well in Egypt. We don't know how much of the Egyptian court life he's experienced. I mean, he's was brought up by one of the daughters of Pharaoh. We don't know how close she was to Pharaoh. Might have been quite close. He probably was educated in many of the, um, you know, Egyptian arts, including rhetoric. You know, he will have seen how good these speakers can be, how eloquent they can be, how powerful and. So I, I really understand his nervousness. And also, as we were talking about this, there was the reality that, like Moses, you see it also across the Old Testament and in the New Testament. He's been given a task by God to represent God and to say, hey, this is what God says. And you see that with the other prophets of mm. the Old Testament. We were speaking earlier on as we were repairing you see this in the life and in the ministry of Paul the Apostle as well. So there is that prophetic reluctance to convey that actually you're going to go to speak to a group of people who are not going to listen. Mm. They're not going to be paying attention. Why? Why, why? why do that? Yeah, it's a lot to go through. I mean, if somebody, if God told you now to go down to your local pub and stand up in front of everybody on a Friday night, quiet them down and then, you know, preach to them, that's a big ask. And just the idea alone that they they simply won't listen to you is, is enough to put you off, is enough embarrassment. I mean, you're probably not going to get sawn in half or fed to lions, but I don't know, you might get punched, but you know, more likely they're going to jeer at you, they're going to reject you. It's painful. So, yeah, there's a real, the prophetic tradition of, of saying to God, I don't want to go, there's no point, this won't work, they might put me in prison or kill me. Yeah, it's, Moses stands in a, um, I wouldn't say a proud tradition of, <laughs> of not wanting to go where God tells you, but I mean, very understandable. And again, as we said, he is facing a giant, really. Pharaoh with all his powers, with all his arrogance, with all his prides. I think this is closely, uh, this is gradually moving us to the next question about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. There's parts in the book of Exodus that we read that Pharaoh himself had hardened his heart, but also there is an element of 
the writer of Exodus marking that in chapter 7, where he says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. What do we make of this? It's it's very tricky, and I think we get to the centre of it is a mystery that cannot really be penetrated. It's tempting to kind of stitch up all these questions and come out with a clear kind of doctrine, but I don't know, I, I'm not sure it's wise to do that. We're talking about the way that God interacts with the human heart and it's there are parts of the bible that talk that really emphasize the freedom of the human heart the the ability to choose good from evil right from wrong turn left or turn right and then there are passages which talk about the power of god over the thoughts and the hearts of men and and the role of the holy spirit in illuminating the darkened human mind uh, it's especially clear in in the new testament so we have to be quite careful about i think just not resolving this too much and trust that god is powerful and god is just i suppose the real the nub of the question for me is does god ever prevent people from believing or repenting when they might have wanted to? Was it possible for Pharaoh to have repented and obeyed God, but he stopped him from doing it? I think that's the nub of it. I don't think that's how the Bible is portraying the situation with Pharaoh. I think it's describing an arrogant man, someone who's being defensive, someone who's being incredibly obstinate, selfish, Careless about God. Yeah, careless about his about his people, what's happening yeah. to them. Willing to risk, risk it all for his pride. Of <laughs> Quite a familiar yeah. sounding character right now. And the Lord is working with that. He's hardening the material that is there to be hardened. I suppose what we could say is maybe the Lord has the choice to soften it. But instead he has chosen to take it in the direction that it's already going. There is that verse that you mentioned earlier on as well from... Proverbs, did you say? Yeah. About the heart of the king. Yes, Proverbs 21. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. We just pray that in this situation with Mr. Putin, that God will turn his heart and the situation is not going to escalate to what we've seen so far. And also, I think... We ought to pray for other world leaders might have the same heart issues like Putin have, has, but they're less obvious in this situation, in this scenario. And again, that, that God would turn their hearts and soften them and, and, and bring them towards him. I think that is a comfort to me that, that God, you know, does operate on that level of the heart. Whatever is going on with Putin and whatever... God has planned for him. That's that's the other thing. God's in control. And Pharaoh looked like he was in control. And I'm sure he thought he was in control. But he wasn't. And um, yeah. his end was planned. And step by step, God knew what was going to happen. And um, God wasn't unleashing one plague after another, you know, getting exasperated. He yeah. knew how it was all going to roll out. Yeah. He knew that Pharaoh will be sitting on his throne and then at one point he'll be lying dead on the shore. So with Putin, we're in the same situation, I think, that, that God is in control. God has his heart in his hand. Whether he will keep him going for a time and then act, we'll just have to see. Even though we don't know the future, we don't live in the same kind of chaotic uncertainty that the rest of the world do. 
And I think it's a great, great reminder and a great comfort to us. And again, we are quite distant from the immense of the war and the repercussions that that brings. Even saying that, I've been in a few prayer meetings with leaders from the churches in Ukraine, and that has been one of the things that has come across very clearly, that even the believers in Ukraine are trusting that God is in control, even though everything around them looks chaotic. We're going to move a little bit to the Gospel of John, and then we'll come back to Exodus, because we've got a question about John and it's after the resurrection Jesus appears to the disciples and he appears to them while they had gone back fishing so it was John with other six guys and and the question is why did Peter put on his coats that he had taken off for work surely this would have made him heavier in water to swim back to Jesus yeah I think well the Jews were very cautious and they didn't uh, very modest and so nudity was not a good thing and we've seen that a bit already in in exodus where the priests in other cultures would officiate naked at the altar possibly because of the heat but the jews were told not to do that you had to hide your nudity we saw that in the garden of eden with the shame and the making of clothes and when greek culture came to to palestine before the time of jesus they started introducing greek theaters and also gymnasiums which were offensive i mean some jews kind of went along with it and they were very pro-hellenist a lot of them complained because of the nudity involved in competing in the games. And so that's what's happening here. Now, Paul Peter isn't probably naked. He's probably got a loincloth on, but he is more naked than he should be to appear in front of Jesus. It's a matter of respect and being appropriately greeting. And it's not just because he sees that he is Jesus and Jesus is God here, but it's also that respect that you have for the fellow human being that actually you're not so acquainted with like you would be with the other fishermen that were on the boat and you were in the thick of it uh, yeah aside from the uh, the extra things that are going on with jesus it's just proper standard culture to dress and um, and so he probably doesn't put on his full uh you know his cloak he probably wraps an outer garment around his waist that's what the verb implies so yeah so it's not his full-on traveling cloak or sleeping cloak so we're going to move to the next question. All the Egyptian livestock were killed in Exodus 9. And the person who's asked this is that, what do we do with this phrase all? How many were there left to die in the Passover when the situation was really serious, when all the firstborn of the livestock were killed? And we, we spoke a little bit about this and you mentioned the fact about the language. Yeah, I think it's just, it's non-literal language. So sometimes when they say all or every, it's not literal. It means most or a lot of things like that. They have, sometimes you see where it's emphasised that everyone's involved, like I think think Sodom and Gomorrah. In, in Sodom there were extra words used like everybody, every man. There will be an elaboration if the author wants you to understand it is literally everybody. It's just not yeah. literal uh, language there. We started with the conversation about Ukraine. We've kind of woven it through in our conversation and I, I really wanted to finish today with, with a psalm and 
Peter, you suggested the uh, we we ponder a little bit on the Song of Moses, which is in Exodus 15. And can you expand a little bit on that idea that you said? It's so challenging. I mean, I, I'm always trying to do this with, you know, the harder parts of the Psalms or uh, parts of the Old Testament, which talk about war and violence and the desire for vengeance and all sorts of things. Because, you know, I've never experienced war. I've never, you know, felt that level of need for protection or desire for vengeance, that kind of thing. I've never felt that level of injustice and harm and bitterness. So I always try and get into that. But that is what's happening now. You know, the Ukrainians are experiencing things. They will have a need for a defender. You know, every child that has to watch their father or uncle and older brother go off and fight must be thinking, why do they have to and what will happen to them? And wouldn't it be great if God would step in and, and end it all and be the warrior so they don't have to be? You know, I was thinking about verse three, the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. We, I talked about that in one of my videos about yeah. the Hebrew is the Lord is a man of and how that that's how the ESV has oh, does translated it? Oh, okay. yeah. and it's you know it's not someone like Putin who you would say is a man of war he wants he wants the destabilization that war brings he likes the way it makes him more powerful he doesn't care that people die he likes the poverty and the crime and the famine and the the desperation that arises because it all just goes to strengthening his own power. But that's not at all what that means with God. With God, it's the defender, the, the one who comes in and fights against the enemies, who protects the vulnerable, and who will be victorious when he arises, when he bears his arm to yeah. use. Uh, I mean, that's very helpful. I just also am aware that it's very easy for us to continue to look into the gloomness of the situation and look at the potential of the people and the escalation of evil. And this week I've been really reminded that the world, us as individuals, have got a bigger enemy. And as we've read in the good book of John, that the devil, he has been from the beginning against God's creation. John 10 tells us that the enemy always comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. And yet in Moses' song, in chapter 15, Moses says, the Lord is a man of war, the Lord is his name. And verse 6, it says, your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And I, I just wanted to finish with that message that although we see the severity and I'm not by any kind of intention wanting to minimize the intensity of the war I also want to know to, to state here that we have got hope because we have got trust and we believe in this Lord who shatters the enemy and he has finished this battle with the enemy 2,000 years ago on the cross dying even for today dying even for that war in Ukraine today and resurrecting and coming victorious out of that grave I I, I want to finish with that note, unless you've got anything no. else to add. No, it's, great. it's great that we are journeying together. It's great that we are reading the scriptures together as a church. And I just want to encourage you to keep sending those questions. And you'll hear again from us um, next week. And until then, go with God's blessing and peace, knowing that God is in your, on your side. And his right hand has shattered the enemy. God bless you. God bless you, Pete, as well. And have a good one.